Amen. Hey, uh, if it's your first time, man, welcome. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. Me and my wife would love to meet you. We'll be in the lobby afterwards. Oh, thank you so much. She saw me looking for it, reaching for it a while ago. Just talk to the monkey self real quick. But we'd love to meet you. We also want to welcome, because we've got several people that watch online uh, from up in the New England states and in different areas up north. So welcome, welcome, man. Thank you for giving us your time. Um, a young girl being taught the Bible by her grandmother. And the grandmother was really impressed with how quickly the young daughter or the young girl, her granddaughter, was catching on. I mean, she was learning scripture. She was blowing through it. But then the granddaughter came to her one day with a question that kind of uh, caught her off guard. And she's like, hey, hey, grandmom, uh, which, uh, which virgin was the mother of Jesus? And the grandmother was like, well, uh, what do you mean, which virgin? She said, well, was it Mary, Virgin Mary, or was it the King James Virgin? Thank you, 9 a.m. didn't even get that joke. I thought that's pretty good. But uh, let's be honest. Isn't it hard to believe we are 29 days away from Christmas? Isn't that crazy? Some of you are excited. Some of you are like, oh, okay, great. Uh, but, but let's be honest. When it comes to Christmas, there are two types of people, two kind of two different groups. The first group might look like something like this. Oh, wow. What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. There's that group of people, and you know who you are. The, the group of people where Thanksgiving, that's just a preliminary. That, it's just something to help us signify, hey, okay, it's Christmas time. Now, listen, I'm going to make a public service announcement that some of you may or may not like. I, I don't believe any Christmas songs should be played. I don't believe Christmas decorations should go up. Christmas trees should not go up till the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Listen, my, just, my job's here just to bring everybody together. Just bring everybody together. Uh, but, but there are those that you're, you're excited, man. You, your radio station, that's all it plays is Christmas music. Your ringtone is Christmas music. Some of you have already got all your Christmas presents bought. Look at them, some of you. That's one group of people. Then there's another group of people that might look something like this. 
What's your problem, anyway? Well, for starters, I hate Christmas. Should we do something? You stop this fight, you're fired. <laughs> Then there's that group. Now, now, let's say this. Maybe you wouldn't go so far as to say I hate Christmas, but maybe you dread Christmas. You dread it for a few different reasons. Maybe you dread it because of how commercial it's gotten. Come on, yeah, it's just com very commercial. Maybe you dread it uh, because you know it signifies that your kids are going to be out of school for two weeks. That means they're with you for two weeks. Um, maybe you dread it because of the traffic. Come on. Uh, maybe you dread it because right now you're financially strapped and you can't really give the kind of gifts you like to give. Come on. Or maybe you dread it because you're staring at an empty chair where last year was filled with someone and they're not there this year. Many reasons we dread Christmas or it can bring. Here's what I know about Christmas. If, if things are going great, it magnifies it. But if things are going, you're going through a rough season or things are not great, it magnifies that also. Christmas does. But, but when we look at the true meaning of Christmas, the true story of Christmas, it has nothing to do with Black Friday shopping. It, it has nothing to do with getting gifts or giving gifts, and I enjoy both. It, it has nothing to do with parties, with decorations, Christmas pageants, parade, or plays. It has nothing to do with those, the real meaning of Christmas. Those are things we've added to it. You know, the law, if, if uh, you've heard me talk about this, God gave us Ten Commandments. By the time the religious leaders and teachers got finished with it, adding to it, there was over 613 laws. And it became confusing. The actual law kind of got lost in it. And I think that's what's happened to Christmas. We've added so much to it that the real meaning behind it has got lost in, it, lost in all of it. So, so what I want to do over the next few weeks is let's peel back the layers and let's take a deeper look at what the true meaning of Christmas is. Look at some of the characters that we get introduced to when it comes to the Christmas story. Now, when you read the Christmas story or, or the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, they're found in Matthew 1 or Luke 1 and 2. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you got a Bible, want to turn there. If not, don't worry. We're going to bring it up on the screen. Um, we're going to be in Luke 2. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing something that is 
special need baby dedication. I, I love doing baby dedications, and if you've been here any length of time, you know why. Because my dad, when he would do baby dedications, he'd always talk about how God dealt with him at the very, his very first dedication. See, my mom and dad, dad was not a Christian uh, when my mom and dad got married. And so they got pregnant with Chris, and when he, he talks about when he was up there dedicating Chris back to God, the pastor began to say, hey, you're committing to this, committing to this. And he said, I realize I, I can't do that. And that kind of perpetuated him coming to Christ. So baby dedications, uh, I, I love those. And uh, we got a lot of new babies. We got a lot of new babies on the way. I mean, we're going to grow the church one way or another. Let, let's, some of y'all are taking that, uh, be fruitful and multiply, a little serious there. Uh, so. But last week our kids came to town and and although we celebrated Thanksgiving early with them, with all of our family, that wasn't the real reason we got together. We got together because Denise and Sheridan were throwing Kennedy a baby shower. A baby shower. Now, now Kennedy's my firstborn. So, and so watching her get pregnant, what, and, and especially if you know Kennedy, just... The excitement of how in the world is she going to handle this uh, was exciting for me to see. But we got together and, ce and celebrated that, and it got to me to thinking about when Kennedy was born. It, it was a special day, one, because when Denise and I started dating and then began to talk about um, getting married, well, Denise had a 15-year-old daughter, April, which if you were here last week, you saw her. And so De Denise made it clear to me, listen, if you want to be married to me, you've got to be with, okay with the fact that I don't want any more kids. I've got a daughter that's uh, almost grown, and so I agreed to that. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way she could only resist all of this for so long. <laughs> so, And four kids later, I was right uh, But I remember when Kennedy was born. I remember the people that were in the room that day, the people that were closest to us. I remember getting on the phone. I called our closest friends. I called family. I called our church family. I called people that were important in my life. You know, and I did the exact same when Sherry was born, when Zion was born. Those closest to me, I wanted to let them know, hey, I just, we just had a baby. Now, you, Lydia, who's not here, but Jill, you ask one of those or the, the, the other many mothers in here that have had babies recently, they would tell you the same thing, that before we got on social media, before we, we called those that were closest to us, those most important to us, to announce the birth of our baby. That, that's just what you do, right? Come on, come on, 11 a.m. You, you tell those that are closest to you, those that are most important to you. That's why when it comes to the way Jesus' birth was announced, I'm a little perplexed by the way God did it. Let's look at the way God chose to announce his son. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. 
Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. I think that's probably an understatement. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth for those with whom God is pleased. That's how God chose to announce the birth of his son. To a bunch of shepherds in a field, out in the middle of nowhere, no cell phone service, no internet, no way of getting the word out. Hey, the Messiah has been born. Get the word out to a bunch of shepherds. Can, can we agree? This is a huge, life-shattering announcement. Come on, right? The, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, taking on flesh. I mean, this is a big announcement. It's once-in-a-lifetime event, yet God doesn't send the angels to announce to the mayor of Bethlehem. He doesn't send him to make the announcement to the rabbis or the religious teacher or the elite. None of those. God chooses to announce it to a bunch of shepherds. Not people you would think of when the announcement gets, you know, you know to announce something like this. I mean, not the elite. In fact, if you look at this, it was pretty much hidden from the elite, the birth of Jesus. But the Son of God is announced to the shepherds. So I asked, why shepherds? Why shepherds? Out of all the people God could have chosen to announce the birth of his son, why shepherds? Well, PK, why is that so strange? Here's why. Shepherding, the occupation of shepherding, was not an admirable occupation. Like kids did not grow up saying, boy, I want to be a shepherd one day. I'm dreaming about being a shepherd. Well, you say, but Kelly, David was a shepherd. That's right. And it makes me wonder if that was the reason that when the prophet showed up at David's father's house and he said, I'm here to anoint the next king, everybody got invited but David. David. Here's, let me show you how shepherds were looked at in the Old Testament. Genesis 46, 34, it says that shepherds are loathsome or detestable. And in Numbers, shepherding was actually considered a, a form of punishment. It says this in 1433, Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. That doesn't sound like a compliment. Your kids are going to be shepherds suffering for your unfaithfulness. The, the occupation of shepherding paid so little that most shepherds had a side job. You know what it was? Stealing. Thieves. Thieves. They, they were known as the lowlifes of society. They were looked down upon by the religious leaders, the teachers, rabbis, because their profession kept them from ever being ceremonially clean. 
And, and since their sheep and their flocks were in constant demand, there was no way they could observe all the hand-washing rituals to be made clean. Here's, here's what uh, the Mishnah, Judaism's uh, written record of oral law, it describes shepherds as incompetent. Get this, it says this, no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. That's the way they felt about shepherds. Jeremiah documents the fact that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill any judicial offices or be admitted in court as a witness. You know why? Because they were liars. They were untrustworthy. And in fact, in her book, Holy Ordinary, Carol Mead says this. Shepherds of Jesus' time were considered by the general populace untrustworthy. Even worse, their work made them ceremonially unclean because they had daily contact with carcasses of animals and came into contact with all sorts of unclean animals. Get this. She says, they were the social outcast of Jesus' day. Social outcast of Jesus' day. Yet God chose these social outcasts, these shepherds, to deliver the news of his baby being born. We don't even get the names of the shepherds. Now, if you grew up in church and were any, in any children's place, you know what the shepherds' names was. Shepherd 1, Shepherd 2, and Shepherd 3. That, that's the names they were given. But think, if God is about to change the world forever through the birth of his son, why doesn't he announce it to people with influence? Come on. To people in higher positions, more respected people, why make this announcement out in the middle of nowhere to a bunch of shepherds, outcasts, and untrustworthy people? Because God was making a statement even by the way he was announcing the birth of his son. That statement was, was this, no one is beyond God's reach. No one. See, God chose the rejects of society so that because of Jesus, no one would ever again be excluded from what he came to do. God was saying, your social status, it does not matter. Your background does not matter. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your income doesn't matter. Your past doesn't matter. I love and I came for everyone because no one is beyond God's reach. That's what he was saying. That's the true Christmas story of Christmas. It, it, it's this. God loves using people that nobody else would ever think of using. God loves giving value to things that nobody else would give value to. That's what he does. God loves using people like shepherds, like outcasts, people like you and people like me. It's just what he does. Let's read on verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Another thing we can learn from these shepherds is this. They responded immediately. As soon as the angels left, they left. 
As soon as the angels gave them a message and took off, they said, guys, what are we waiting for? This is a moment we've been waiting. They didn't say, hey, you know what? We're going to go, but we got to wait for somebody to come here and take over our jobs while we're gone. Hey, we're going to go, but let's wait till morning. Hey, let's wait for a more convenient time. Then we'll go. No, they responded immediately. Why? Because I believe they felt this urgency that said, we've got to go now and find this one that they just told us about because this is the answer to the world's problem. We've got to go. They responded immediately. The King James Version says they went in haste. That word haste comes from the Greek word sputo. It literally means to desire earnestly. In other words, they wanted this. They wanted their lives to be something other than the ordinary, the usual. They wanted purpose for their lives. They wanted a change in who they were. And see, here's the thing. They wanted it so bad. It was so compelling to them. They left everything to go see Jesus. Mind you, of anybody else in the Bible that left everything to follow Jesus, that's how bad they wanted it. So I have to think, what, what would have happened had they not responded immediately? What would have happened if they said, hey, guys, let's get a good night's rest. We got a long journey. We'll get up, go early in the morning. Let's get some rest. What would have happened if they said, hey, let's wait till it's more convenient? Here's what would have happened. They would have missed it. They would have missed it. And this morning in my office, I was going over this point here, and I, this is where my mind went. I wonder how many times we missed out because we waited. I wonder how many times we missed out on our freedom because we made it for a more convenient time to go to the altar. I wonder how many times we missed out on, on a relational healing because we waited on somebody else to make the first move in reconciliation. I wonder how many times we missed out on a miracle because we waited. That's what I love about our Sunday mornings. And God said, hey, Kelly, I, I want you and the pastors to begin to pray every Sunday for healings. And I don't want to wait. Because I do believe we are going to begin to see an influx of healings in God's power in this place. <laughs> the best response is what the or is how the shepherds responded. Immediate response. Immediately they responded. I heard one guy say it like this. He said, delayed obedience is still disobedience. They responded immediately. Let's look at verse 12 again. Because I, I want you to see. See, I'm, I'm the person that's, that KISS anagram, that relates to me. Keep it simple, stupid. I have to have things laid out for me. You want me to do something, tell me how to do it. My wife will tell you, like, if she's wanting things done, I'll say, here's what I need you to do. If it, is this not true? Write it down on the list in order of importance to you. Well, because I forget. And it don't take, I mean, I could be doing something in squirrel. I, I didn't forgot about it. This even existed over here. This is dead to me now. 
But I love how direct the angels were. Look at Luke 2.12. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. That's pretty direct. God says it plainly, right? There's no reading between the lines. Here's why I say this. You want to know what God has to say about something? Go to his word. He speaks plainly. He speaks directly still through his word. And contrary to culture and popular belief, he hasn't changed his mind about things. Oh, what do you mean? I mean, if you want to know if it's okay for you to hook up with your girlfriend or boyfriend every now and then, find out what the word says. Okay, let me go back over here. You want to know if you can keep on holding on to forgiveness to somebody that hurts you or hurts somebody you love? I don't know. Go, what does the word say? Because he hasn't changed his mind. You want to think you can keep running your mouth and talking, whether online, whether in private or out there, whether it be true or false? Go, what does the word say? What does it say? If it's your first time, come back next. I'm, I'm nicer. Here's the thing, when we, when we hear what the Word says and we learn to respond immediately and quickly, I believe that opens up a door and a way for God to begin to work in our hearts and move in our lives. But we've got to respond and we've got to do it quickly. It, it, it says, you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Does that sound like the Christmas story you grew up hearing? Or does that verse read more like this? Bring that other version up. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Does that sound a little more familiar? Swaddling clothes? So why would that be a sign? I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if somebody's pregnant and I go there and, oh, there's a baby. That's, that's not going to be a sign to me other than they had sex nine months ago. That's the only sign. So why would this be a sign? One, when it says you'll find him in a manger, it's not this cute little box that we set up and put on display. The word that gets used for manger there actually means a feeding trough. A feeding trough. And, and another reason this would be a sign to them is get, get this, babies in that time, they weren't wrapped in swaddling or strips of cloth. You know what was wrapped in strips of cloth, though? A baby lamb. After that baby lamb was born, the shepherds would inspect it. If it had no spots or blemishes, that baby lamb would get wrapped up tight in these strips of cloth, placed in a feeding trough, separated from the others, because this was going to be a sacrificial lamb. Maybe that's why the shepherds responded immediately. Verse 17. When they, had, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard this were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, now how were the people amazed? 
What does it say? At what? Who said to them? So they wouldn't have been amazed about Jesus had the shepherds not spoken up. Are, are, you, are you following me on this? The third thing we can learn from the shepherds is this. Shout your story. Shout your story. When they saw him, when they encountered Jesus, they went and told everybody about this encounter, what had changed their life, what had given them purpose. Shout your story. Why? Because your story may be the hope that somebody else needs to hear. Your story may be what that person that is ready to end it all needs to hear. Your story may be the one, that young lady, that young woman that finds herself pregnant and alone and doesn't know how she's going to do it. Your story may be the one she needs to hear. Your story may be the one who, that, that, that that young lady needs to hear that maybe she followed through with an abortion and she thinks God hates her. Maybe she needs you to hear your story that you felt the same way. You did the same thing, but God healed you. Your story matters. Maybe you, it may be the story of a couple that, that your marriage is on the brinks and they need to hear how God restored your marriage. This, time, this Christmas time, the, the, uh, the holiday season, the suicide rates double. Why? Because people find themselves alone and feeling hopeless. And maybe your story that says, you know what? I know what it's like to, I, I know what it feels like to pick up that orange bottle and wonder how many I need to take to not wake up. Maybe they need to hear the story of you squeezing that trigger. And trying to come up with the courage to pull it. Come on. Maybe they need to hear that you were once there. You know exactly what it's like to feel that dark cloud over you. But God came to your rescue. Your story matters. Listen, guys. Don't let the things you've walked through be for nothing. I know we want to hide our brokenness, but God's trying to shine a light on it so that somebody else can see the hope. See, allow God to use the brokenness in your life to give somebody else hope. Allow God to use the mistakes that you've made, the storm you've gone through, the addiction you've beaten, the sickness you've gone through. Allow him to use that to speak hope and life into somebody else's life. Let's go on verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. The last thing we can learn from the shepherds, this is a byproduct. When your life has been truly changed, what the shepherds did next was this, worship the king. If I could get Easter, come on up. They worship. They worship the king. Think, think about this. When we open this story in verses 13 and 14, it was the angels that were worshiping, right? I mean, glory to God in the highest. It was the angels worshiping, right? Come on, what's more, right? Seven verses later, the shepherds have taken over the angels' job. Now they're worshiping. 
when I was thinking about this, man, my imagination is, it's, it's, it's a scary place up here. But I was thinking about these angels. They were worshiping. Well, then they hear the shepherds start worshiping. And they're like, that looks a little bit different than what we do. That worship looks a little bit different than the way we worship. Why? Because angels never had to know the need for God's grace. Angels never knew what it was like to live in a sinful life and need rescued from it. Angels never understood the chains being broken off of someone's life. The shepherds, though, they understood very well. They were the social outcast. They were known as untrustworthy. And what I find interesting, the shepherds, they sold the sheep, they supplied the sheep for the synagogue, for the tabernacle. The very place they worked for, they weren't allowed to step a foot into it because they were unclean. See, shepherds didn't go to church. Shepherds didn't go to synagogue. Shepherds weren't accepted in their world. In fact, shepherds only had one type of friend, other shepherds. So when you ask, why did they worship? Why did they shout the story? Because they were very aware of their sinful condition. They were very aware uh, that that they were looked down upon. They were very aware that they were the outcasts of society. But now, the Son of God has been born. And He's come to accept and welcome the rejected, the despised, the outcasts, those deemed unworthy. That's why they worship. That's why they shout their story. not going to be on your screen or come up in scripture so don't flip out back there I wonder if the shepherds remembered a common scripture that was read growing up found in Isaiah and they thought this sounds familiar it says he was despised and rejected turned our backs on him and looked the other way he was despised and we did not care I wonder if the shepherds I know what that's like I wonder if it says in verse 6 of Isaiah 53 all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's path to follow our own yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all I, I don't know but I wonder if this verse kept coming back to mind where it says in verse 7 he was oppressed and treated harshly he was led like a lamb to the slaughter maybe that's why they worshipped let's look at verse chapter 2 verse 1 3 and 4 I find this this Fascinating. I mean, it's interesting to me. Verse 1 says, At the time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed 
that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This is the reason Joseph was having to return. Verse 3, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. I want you, those hearing this story read, they knew very well who King David was. They knew King David as the giant slayer. They knew the David that delivered the people, that won battles. But they also knew what David was before he was king. A shepherd. See, the thing about a shepherd's heart, David had had this shepherd's heart. and, And you need to understand this, because shepherds didn't have a lot, they protected fiercely what they did have. You remember the verse... We read about the the uh, shepherds were watching their flock by night. Why the, the shepherds were known? They would circle. They would sp- stay up all night, circling around their flocks, looking for uh, the prey that would come in and try to kill their lambs. Joseph was of the lineage of King David, who was a shepherd. The announcement of Jesus came to a bunch of shepherds watching over their flock. And this is what I find so interesting. Do you remember what Jesus, how he refers to himself in John 10? Look at this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what Christmas is about, church. This. Jesus coming down to humanity to a bunch of lost sheep that needed a shepherd desperately. To people that needed a shepherd king. A king that wouldn't be selfish and look out for his own needs. But one that would encircle them and protect them and watch over them. The message to these misfits, these shepherds is clear. It's clear to those listening that, hey, Jesus is king. David was king, but Jesus is a better king than David. Let's go back to where we started this. Angel appeared to the angels. Went from one angel to a host of angels. Remember? They're all singing and worshiping. In fact, the the Greek word that that gets used there as a host of angels is stration. It literally means a band of soldiers. Thousands of warring angels appearing. And they all start singing, glory to God in the highest. Here's what they were declaring. God is above all other gods. God is above all other kings. He's above all other rulers. He is above all glory to God in the highest. There is no one greater, stronger, mightier than our God. way most of us hear this scripture is glory to God in the highest on peace, goodwill toward men. That's not a fair translation. I mean, that's what we want to believe, right? Goodwill, peace to all men. But that's not what the angels declared. Look at it. Glory to God in highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. 
you're like me. I'm out then. There's no way God's going to be pleased with me. I know my past. I know the things I've done. I know the lies I've told. I know the places I've gone. There is no way that God can be pleased with me. And that's what makes this announcement so incredible, church. Because up to this point, there was only one way to please God. That was to keep the law. Dot every I, cross every T. You got to fulfill it. And the shepherds weren't scholars, but they knew this much. They weren't able to do that. So how could God be pleased with me, a shepherd? Someone that's deemed unrighteousness or unrighteous and outcast. Yet God makes this announcement to these shepherds that were incapable of keeping the law. They weren't able to. But for them, this announcement changed everything. This is the one spoken in Isaiah 53. This baby will live the perfect life that no man or woman has ever been able to live. He will fulfill every demand of the law. Then he will die a death that you and I deserve. He'll die a criminal's death, a sinner's death. And because of what he did, now everyone can be accepted and be pleasing to God if they will just put their trust the Christmas story to me is it's just saying hey you and I we are powerless January 1st you'll make uh, resolutions you'll make promises I'm going to be healthier I'm going to be more financially stable our relationships are. I mean you'll make all these things by January 6th you'll have broken them off Revealing how powerless you and I really are. Kelly, I'm powerful. Here's what I know. If we were as powerful as we thought we were, all of us would be a little bit lighter and be in better shape. Come on and be healthier. But we are powerless. Listen, I'm reminded daily how powerless I am when it comes to sin. That I need God to be powerful in my life. Because without Him, I don't have a hope. Without Him, I'm sunk. Come on. I know I'm talking to the right people in here. 